0: And so there's lots of oh, pshaw. Okay, good. No, new shirt. didn't know if my pocket was going to work. Um, well, Romans 5:12 to 21 is not really light reading. I think I just want to read it through, Uh, probably, yeah, I'll just read it through, follow along there with me, therefore, well now see, that's a clue right there, therefore, that's a specific warning not to forget what, what came before. So, there's a connection. The word therefore tells you there is a connection. Okay? What's the, before we even get into this, let's see some things that we know they're going to help us with this. What is it Paul's not ashamed of? Why is he not ashamed of the gospel? Well it is the power of say, to save Why is it the power to save It is the truth That's true but that's not what he said 116 and 17 He said I'm so eager to get to Rome to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome I'm obligated to preach and teach the gospel to the wise and the foolish, to the Greeks and the non-Greeks. That's why verse 17 starts with the word gar, for. That means let me tell you why. Why is it you're not ashamed of the gospel and why is it that the gospel is God's power to save? For in the gospel... A righteousness from God is revealed. Why are you not ashamed of the gospel? And how is it that the gospel is powerful to save us? It's just, it's, it's made up of historical facts. If you wanted to go over to First Corinthians 15, he would say three necessary historical facts. Jesus came, Jesus died, was buried, and God raised Jesus from a grave to immortality. That's the gospel I preach to you. He'd cut that down even further over there in chapter one uh, or chapter two and say, I purpose to know nothing while I was among you save what? Jesus and him. He just used the crucified part. Which is foolishness to Gentiles and doesn't do Jews any good because they're looking for a miraculous sign. But for those of us who are being saved, it is wisdom from God. The gospel is. Now that's first Corinthians one and two, we wasn't really there, but same guy writes them both. So what is it in the gospel, what is revealed It just reveals the fact that God is righteous. Creation did that. Since creation of the world, God's invisible qualities has eternal power and divine nature. A righteousness from God is revealed. Oh, wait. He didn't say a righteousness of God. He wouldn't have said a righteousness then. We wouldn't say it that way in English. A righteousness what? 117. So is he talking about God's personal righteousness? Where's he headed with this? The righteousness of God. The righteousness of God. Okay, could be, where's it from? Oh, see, I gave it away, didn't I? If it's of God, where is it from? God. So if you want to say of instead of from, fine, but what's the last part of the verse say? A righteousness of God or from God is from faith, is by faith, out of the midst of faith, ek faith, I pointed out the Isaac signs before, ek, that Greek word means out of. It's out of faith unto what? So necessarily is he talking about God's personal righteousness? He's talking about a righteousness that comes through what? So what's he talking about? Is he talking about a righteousness of God or righteousness from God? Necessarily, he's talking about... It's not... The answers are not tied up in the Greek, brothers and sisters. They're tied up in the message. Listen to what the author's saying. It doesn't make any sense if he's talking about God's... Per, he already said God was righteous. Creation established that. Eternal and divine. That's righteous. Everybody that's eternal is righteous. Everybody that's divine is righteous. That'd be God. But the good news, do we call this the good news on a regular basis? The good news is is available. That's my term, but I'm trying to get it in terms we understand. The good news is there's righteousness available for people who what? That's it. And this first time God's ever mentioned it. No, it's not. He just quoted Habakkuk two four. And we'll read that letter sometime. There's absolutely nothing whatsoever that you can look at. You can't put your finger physically on anything that produces any hope. There's no sheep in the pen. How are we going to worship God? There's no cattle in the stall. How are we going to offer sacrifices of atonement? There's no grape on the vine, there's no bloom on the fig. We couldn't celebrate, worship, or come to God if we wanted to. And yet, well, I praise Jehovah. Why? Because it's all good. Regardless of our current circumstance, Habakkuk preaches a message that leaves leaves ancient Israel With God. They are in the lowest of lows. Remember we drew faith like that? You got hills and valleys. I mean, they're two feet below here. He makes my feet like hinds feet. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. I watched four mule deer bucks about this big go off a cliff that was half mile deep anyway. I got from me to Bill. from them. Got out of the car. They stood in the bar ditch. I walked over. Season was already over. They knew it. They're just, okay. I just wanted to see how close I could get. And they let, and I mean, I knew the cap rock was right there. It's It's just a cliff. And the first one, they jumped into nothing. One after the other. And I ran. I could still hear in those days. And I couldn't hear any rocks sliding or brush breaking. And I ran to the edge of the cliff. They never stumbled. They never fell. Not once. They weren't even in a hurry. They were just playing around. Oh, he wants to look. Habakkuk said, That's, God make my feet like that." He ain't talking about stumbling. He ain't talking about falling. I'm talking about God. So righteousness is available. That's the good news. The righteousness from God has been revealed. Yes, it's from God. He is the source of it. But the point is, it's available to people who need it. They'd be unrighteous sinners. And that is revealed. That has been revealed. And righteousness is from what, unto what? Starts in what and ends in what? Now, nail that down. Because the entire letter, this is the hub of the entire letter. And when we're talking about, and we just finished a long discussion about justification. Oh, that's the other thing I've got. uh, And I did mean to do that. And I just forgot it, but I will. I'm also, I'm doing more notes, but I'm. I had to not do that today. My greatest struggle in all this is always me. And so I chose not to do that because I'm not trying to exhaust this. I'm trying to keep it simple. Justification by faith. That is part of an explanation of this. Because justification, what does that mean? Do you remember? Justified. Just as if I'd never sinned. So that's an abbreviation. I'll just spell it. Sinners made right. God didn't go back in history and correct mistakes and give you another chance to mess it up. God didn't do that. He credited, made right, declared righteous or made righteous. Did he give any examples of that happening in space-time history that we just got through studying in chapter four? Abraham. Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation, King David, I mean, the protector, the savior, the sweet psalmist of Israel, uh, the man after God's own heart, Israel's hero, Israel's hero, David, and Israel's father, Abraham. Both of those guys had what in common? God declared them righteous. When they were in reality, by practice, by performance, they were both unrighteous. They were both sinners. But God declared them righteous. And he attributed what facet to both of those men. When he says, what then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter, in this matter of faith, in this matter of God crediting righteousness to sinners, okay? But when he, when he chooses Abraham and he chooses David, now you've got to realize Abraham's the first man called a Hebrew, or the older versions say the first man called a Jew, and David's guess what? So was this only for the? Oh wait, did he already say that at the end of chapter three? Is this righteousness? Is God the God of Jews only, or is He also the God of Gentiles too? What verse is that? Three twenty-seven, eight or nine. Twenty-nine. Is He the God of Jews only? Is He not the God of Gentiles too? He didn't just say that and then drop it. So he knows as he writes this letter, some of the Gentiles are going to have their hand in there and go, what? Then, then the Jews are right. I need to be circumcised, right? So that I can be a Christian and be right with God, right? I mean, he wrote it to people that are Christians. But you see what I'm saying? So we're following. My point with all this is follow the argument in Romans Because Paul's a lawyer, and he's not doing something other than arguing. He is arguing. Very emphatically. He brings up the questions, and I bet you a nickel to a hole in the donut, those are the exact questions people were thinking. He's got the questions by inspiration. I guarantee you, they're on the money. And so he builds this case using Abraham and David... But really, what he's been building the case for is what? The gospel. The gospel is concerning who? Well, it's for everyone. Who's it based on? One person. One person. Is he the Jewish Messiah? Mm Mm-hmm. But is he the Savior of the world? Uh Uh-huh. Mark it down. So, and then he says, first 11 verses of chapter five, no, here's what we've got. In summation, peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, all the trouble, all the trials, everything this world can dish out cannot defeat what the gospel has accomplished, cannot diminish it, cannot defeat it. And, And it is for us to know surely and certainly that since we have now, this is verse 9, since we have now been justified by his blood. Jew or Gentile alike. How are they justified? By his blood. Here already said that two or three times. He just laid it out in first grade English right there. You can't miss it. Since we have now been justified by his blood, we have hope. If we've been rescued from being God's enemy today, we've been washed in his blood, redeemed by that blood, reconciled is his point right there by the blood. What's he just done? He's just knocked the props out from under Jewish Christians belittling Gentile Christians. Don't think the church in the first century had, didn't have problems. Here so often people speak so romantically of the early church. Oh, if we could just be in the first century. <laughs> I don't know, Brother Carl, but I mean, 75 years ago, was the world a better place? Yeah, I mean, good man. Yeah, it's the greatest generation. Are right in there. Don't romanticize that too much. You won't go back there. There's a lot of it. It's pretty hard, wasn't mm-hmm. it? There's a lot of first century stuff. Brothers sisters really hard. Okay, that's, I almost got on a side sermon there. Sorry about that. So, so here we go. Here we go with what's he going to say. Let's read this all through at one time. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, did sin enter the world through one man? Yeah, it did. What was his name? Okay. Adam just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin and in this way death came to all men because all sin I mean Adam came and Adam was here and bad things happened right do we share anything in common with Adam Acts 17 from one man he made all men I don't care what color your skin is or how long you've been living, wherever you've been living, if you want to trace it back, me and you got kinfolk, don't we? Adam. Was Adam a Jew? Hmm. I just had two Jewish illustrations, and now we're going to go all the way back. We're skipping Judaism. We're going all the way back to the beginning. Because what's he, what's he presenting? And, and he's going all the way back to the beginning. If I'm right. And the gospel is the presentation. The gospel is the theme of of the book of Romans and by that I mean the theological truth about God that if the recipients of the letter get a hold of it it will solve all their problems now I'm convinced every letter in the New Testament has one of those you may not be I'll show you how to search it out and find it but when you you get a hold of the theme of something then you've got something and this is the theological truth that God's offering salvation to sinners. And if church doesn't get a hold of it, they're going to split. They got problems. I've read chapters 12 to 16. They got problems. And they got potential for tons of problems. And evidently, it's paramount that they get a hold of the gospel of the righteousness of God made available to men through what avenue, law or faith. There's a continuing contrast going on. He's been developing some time between law and faith. Faith can access what? Faith will bring to you what? The righteous will live by faith. That's what I wrote at the top of the paper tonight that I hadn't looked at. If you wanted to put the theme down in one sentence, that's it. The righteous live by faith. That's what allowed God to credit them justly, credit them with righteousness because they don't have any. The alternative to that would be law. What's the problem with law for lawbreakers? I'll just give it away. doesn't forgive doesn't justify doesn't bring righteousness to anybody law just the principle i don't care law of Moses, law in the Garden of Eden it don 't matter law cannot justify sinners and when i when 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 all I have is me. I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but this is okay. It helps. When all I have is me, guess what? Guess, is there anybody without this? Is there anybody without an awareness of right and wrong? There isn't anybody. Let's quit all the mumbo-jumbo people. Nuh-uh. There ain't nobody. Everybody's got a page with what they think is right and what they think is wrong on it. They keep arguing with me about mine, but they got a page somewhere. Guarantee you. He already said by inspiration they do. They got right and wrong in their heart. That's from God. And if all I've got is, is a standard of what's right and what's wrong and how wrong it is, then what I've got is law and what will I never be? And so you might as well say right here, law equals condemnation. Because what does the law do? I don't mean the law of Moses. I mean law. What does law do with sin? Every single solitary one of them. It's not American baseball. It's not three strikes and you're out. It's one strike and sit down. You're done. You're condemned for however wrong the strike was. You've got, you've got condemnation. Why have you got condemnation? What brought condemnation? Did the law bring condemnation? <laughs> That's kind of a trick question. Sin. Sin is what is condemned, and yes, the law condemned it. That doesn't make law a bad thing, does it? Okay. If all I got is law, all I got is me. Uh oh. Uh oh. How long's that been going on? Well, I know God did not were... How long's this been going on? Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, sin, that's a violation of what? Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and then this way death came to all men because all, he's already said that at least three times. Uh, remember, 319 to 20, uh, 323, yeah. For law, for before law, there's no, there's no definite article here in the original, it's just law, the principle, Until law was given, or mine says before the law was given, sin was in the world. But sin is not taken into account when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned. Death reigned. What do you suppose death would reign through? What brought death? Death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses. If death was reigning, was sin reigning? Because death's the result of sin, isn't it? If there's no sin, you'd have no... So if death is reigning, guess what's also reigning? Sin. Even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. Okay, he just gave you a statement right there. He's going to give us several things here that are in contrast or in comparison. Right there, that last statement. Somebody read the last statement we read there uh, and tell me what verse it is. Okay, what does he say? Go ahead, Chuck. Nevertheless, death reigns Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. Adam? Who's he a pattern of? Did just compare Adam to Jesus? The one to come is... Adam, I mean, is Christ. Well, if he's going to compare them, what do they have in common? Was Adam? Was Jesus? Did Adam ever do anything? Did Adam ever do anything that everybody got to share in? Yep. He's sinned, sinned. He's and death. Yeah. He did, if you will, he committed one act and through participation, Everybody has, if you want to say, benefited from. He did one thing that brought a result that everybody shared in. What one thing did he do? Did Jesus ever do one thing that universally impacted all people? Right. That's the grave. And then he was raised. I'm not talking about his ascension, but he was raised from the dead, the immortality. Did he ever do one thing that impacted everybody? Yeah. Did Adam do one thing that impacted everybody? Uh huh. Yeah. Okay. But verse fifteen. The gift is not like the trespass. You got another comparison there. What's he comparing? The trespass of Adam, the sin of Adam, and the gift of Jesus. Now, the cross he paid was the price. We said it well ago, but Adam, Jeff did, Adam did what? He sinned, and that brought what? Death. Death. Jesus died and that brought what? That's the gift. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God's eternal life, Christ Jesus. That's the end of chapter six. He writes chapter five before he gets to chapter six and he already told you what it is. It's a very interesting thing. And I'm telling you ahead of time why we're doing all this is because we're, we're amending doctrines here. And I was just thinking this afternoon the next time I rewrite my Romans outline, which will be here in a few days, uh, I think I'm going to include 512 to 21 into the 6-1 and following category. Because he, from 321 down to 5.11, he talks about justification by faith. He talked about the doctrine of condemnation, and he's talking about the doctrine of justification. And he's just beginning now an introduction to the doctrine of sanctification. Why would I say sanctification? Justification is made right with who? Okay, sanctification is not the same thing as justification. That will be on a list of terms. And Jim the other day said something, and it made me think, oh, yeah, I need to give you all a list of terms. As, as I'm using and we're using them, and the best I can uh, describe that Paul is using them. I don't even know if he's going to say sanctification. Not in my Bible, he won't. But what are we talking about when we're talking about living a sanctified life in Christ Jesus? Is God's will for you that you should be sanctified? What? Alan? Set apart for His purpose. Okay. What does that mean? Live for Him, live according to His will. We're no longer our own. No, we're not our own. When we were our own, who'd we live for? And we were afforded what? The death and the condemnation that comes from me being me. Now, he said, but God had a way to make you right through the blood, and God made you right through the blood, and you can take it to the bank. It's true. And if he saved you and justified you right now, in the blood than on the day of judgment, he's going to sanctify you. He, I mean, he's going to justify you. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? That's future tense. What's he talking about? He's not talking about the day of judgment. He is too. I'm justified and I'm made righteous right now so that on the day of judgment, I can be seen as and considered what? Righteous, pure, free from the accusation. Holy just depends on if you want to read Colossians 1 or 19 to 22, but there you go. The sanctification is, is, is sacrificial language. Yes. Perfect. Sanct, sanctified, a sanctified life is a life that's set apart for God is living a holy life. Are we called to live a holy life? Does the gospel of salvation, the gospel that delivers salvation, the gospel that reveals and explains salvation, it explains and delivers God's righteousness to us, does that gospel call us to live a holy life? Uh Uh-huh. He's going to spend three chapters Three and a half, now that I'm abending my outline, three and a half chapters explaining that. He spent a half chapter introducing it. Okay, let's read on. And this is why you don't, everybody jumps this. When we're we're trying to teach people the gospel, and brothers and sisters, I'm going to be just transparent as I can. The reason we're doing all this right now is because there's a bunch of folks around here that need to hear the gospel, and I want to do the best I can to make sure we're all on the same page and we understand what the gospel is. The last thing we need is to misinform people. What we need to do is encourage people and we need to get them the message. You get it to them in terms you use and in terms they can understand. But we got to get a hold of the message. Why? Because the gospel that saves us from our unrighteousness gets it the simultaneously at the same time, guess what that gospel message is doing right now in the church today. Let me write this down. I mean, I wasn't going to come over here, but since you brought it up. The gospel saves. If you don't believe that, you're wrong. I'm not being ugly, I'm being emphatic. The gospel message saves. It reveals how God saves. Guess what else the gospel does? It's the power of God. Is that all God God just called us to, our sins being forgiven? Is that all he called us to? No, I've already read chapter 12. Didn't y'all read chapter 12? Somebody read chapter 12, first two verses. Go ahead, Bill, since you're there. He is there call things that are not as though they were. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. I mean, that's a good idea. Let's do that all day. Let's do that all day. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of your by the renewing of your mind, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. In view, how you do all this? In view of what? I forgot. I didn't forget. Read it again. God's mercy. (laughs) Or do you show contempt for the his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you towards repentance. A change of mind, repentance. Chapter 12, do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world. Did we have two patterns contrasted in Romans 5 a while ago? The flesh, I mean, Adam and Jesus, right? but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We need to be brainwashed in a good sense. We need to wash this world out of our brains and fill our brains so we can fill our hearts with guess what? The gospel message. So the gospel saves, yes it does to save, And the gospel transforms. No, it does too. So you can quit this mess. Well, I obeyed the gospel in 1958, so i got to get on with something else. You don't ever get on with something else. Not ever. We never depart from, from the gospel. Not ever. It is always God's power for our salvation. Salvation from the world's thinking, salvation from our sins, salvation from our temptation, salvation from our failures, some f- salvation for anything that we want to be free from, thats anything that's good, that we want to be delivered unto, anything that's wrong that we want to be delivered from, the gospel is God's only power to get that done. And so we're tearing this apart little by little, chunk by chunk, again and again. Okay, we're going to, Lord willing. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, when Adam sinned and brought sin into the world, who was started flexing their muscles and said, Doesn't matter to me, I didn't commit it. He can twist this around like God's punishing everybody for Adam's sin or not, but that's not what he said. But you don't need to throw the baby out With the bathwater. there When sin came into the world There wasn't anybody here to deal with it Brothers and sisters It wasn't bigger than it. I mean nobody was bigger than it was and, and it is I don't know all I understand about that But when did you start doing things That are inherently wrong Like throwing a fit When you don't get what you want When you want it Fairly young age But the gift is not like the trespass. There's a whole difference here in you doing something wrong and God holding you accountable for it. Don't twist my words. I meant that. I said that and I meant that. The whole nation of Israel sinned, I guess, in in Numbers 13, when they're all begging to go back to Egypt and they just, we can't do this, we can't do this. And the 10 spies came back and gave a sorry account. You don't know any of their names. Can anybody name one of the 10 spies came back and gave a sorry account? I'll give you a nickel if you can. There's just two spies that came back from that journey and said, man, this going to be awesome. I can't wait to see how God's going to take a bunch of farmers and do these people in. But here we go, boys, let's go. And I bet you a nickel, every one of you can tell me both of their names. We still name our kids after them. Joshua. They're the only two old people that go into the land of Canaan, by the way. 85 years old. Caleb said, give me that land. Give me where the giants are. I'll take that stuff. All the other old people are gone. You know why? God said, We're separating them out. Everybody 20 years old and younger, I'm not killing them. The rest of y'all, you've had it. You said it couldn't be done? Okay, we'll do a year of that. For every, every day they spent over there gathering bad reports, you'll have a day wandering around out here having funerals all day, every day. God made a judgment. Did all those little kids do something wrong? Everybody 20 years old and under, did they do something wrong? Yeah. Where'd they learn it? Well, parents primarily. Did he hold them accountable for it? Ever not. That's sidetracked. But I'm just saying, don't, don't take this out of context of the gospel. It's, it's in the context of the gospel. And he goes back and supersedes Judaism for a reason. Because Christian or not, and they struggled with this, but Jews think they have actually what in common with Gentiles? Because categorically they are what? Superior, chosen, chosen. Yeah. But the gifts not like the trespass, for if the many died by the trespass of the one more one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift of the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflowed to the many. Again, the gift of God is not like the result of the one man's sin, though they stand to compare because why? One action. Adam sinned. Jesus died. One action. One man commanded one act that brought one universal result. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. But the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. Verse 17, you ought to circle that. For, let me tell you why. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man. Oh, I got another thing to put up here on Adam's deal. What about Adam now? There's structure and symbolism to all this, but what came through Adam? Adam. What did he just say? What verse do I leave off on? Seventeen. 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 Okay, read seventeen. I need a reader. Read seventeen for me, Jeff. For if by the trespass of one man death reign through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man Jesus Christ. There you go. There's your comparison again. And Jesus Christ brought what? A gift. And it's not, it's the trespass, and it's what? The rain. What do you mean, rain? Absolute authority and dominion. Okay? Okay, go ahead, verse 18. Please, sir, if you don't mind. the result of the one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. Keep going. For just as though the disobedience of the one man the many were made sinners so also through the obedience of the one man the many will be made righteous. Because people participated in Adam's act, didn't they? Did Jesus, did Jesus come and commit one historical act that's benefited all mankind. Yes. Will it benefit all mankind? Yes. No. Wow. Could it? Uh-huh. But I had to choose to participate in the Adam's act. Guess what? Jesus. Jesus. I wish there was a way to do that. Wish there was some way I could be connected with him and his death. We're just a few verses from there. Okay, go ahead. Keep going. you to at 20 yet? Right now. Okay, Here. now we're getting down to the point. The law was added so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increases, grace increases all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through the righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Sin's reign and grace's reign. That's what he's getting down to. That's the nitty-gritty of that whole section. In your Bible right there at Romans chapter 5, verse 12, if you have a little white spot right up there at the top, it very likely might say something like 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty two. Does anybody's Bible have that? Does y'all have a little white spot? Did they give you a paragraph space or something there? There's no spaces. She well. You have a white spot over to the right of that. Is your print justified on the page? And you have a little white spot over to the side of that. Then over there in that little white spot to the side of that, it could say First Corinthians fifteen twenty two. Mine does. It's because I wrote it in there. But if you wrote it in yours, then your would. 1 Corinthians 15, 22. all of these three paragraphs, really one paragraph, I haven't, it's been years since I busted it down. One of these days we'll do that. We'll divide the Bible into paragraphs. Very helpful. But this one, this one introductory statement here about living a life holy to God, living a life that Put sin in its place, living a life that's pleasing to God, living a life that brings glory to God, living a life that's no longer according to the pattern of the world, trusting what it trusts and loves what it loves, but looks to God, loves what he loves, and tends to his business. This section introduces that. He's taking us. Therefore, since God offered his son Jesus and justified us in his blood, the result of that is grace might reign, and sin will no longer reign. That's what's at stake. That's what's at stake. Have any of y'all ever washed dishes? Have you ever washed clothes? I'm so glad you got that part of your life over with, because... You don't get through with that, do you? I'm going to hire somebody to do it, you get, and then you got to pick out the person that does it and then gripe about them. You don't get through. We're never getting through with this, brothers and sisters. That's why it's written down. We come back to it, we come back to it, and we come back to it. What he's trying to emphasize here is this is now, because of the cross of Jesus Christ, it's not just a possibility, though you could start there. It's more than a probability. Why doesn't this show up more often? I mean, this is, this is people living lives that are holy sacrifices to God. Well, I wish we had a message that would deliver us unto this. I wish we had a message that would explain how we have this. I wish Paul was a lawyer and he'd explain what he just said. Of course, he's going to. He's going to. So when you take chapter six out of context, then you got a pretext that could say anything. But when you put chapter six where it goes right after his discussion of sin's reign and grace's reign and grace is reigning in your life, isn't it? That's what brought you here tonight, isn't it? The cross of Jesus brought you here, isn't it? How many things in your life are attributed to the simple solitary fact that Jesus died for you, you know it, and you love him for it? I mean, we don't don't keep a list of that. Maybe. But think about it. Think about the things you do. The things you do and the things you say and you know what is the simple explanation for it? It's the cross of Jesus Christ and the grace that God afforded you in that cross when he united you with his son in his death, washed you in your blood, filled you with his spirit, brought you out of the watery grave and then said, hang on, I know that's a lot to take in but I got a lawyer lined up and he's gonna write it down and explain it to y'all. So it can be powerful in your life. Because remember a couple of Sunday nights ago, and we read Matthew 8.13 and Matthew 9.29 and Matthew 15.22. And the summation of all those was, be it unto you according to your faith. As you believe, so be it done. Do you believe that the cross of Jesus Christ is powerful to cleanse your sin? You do too believe that. You gotta just set your soul down and look. Here's where we stand. We trust his blood. Here, look. Here's where we stand. We trust in his resurrection. We trust the fact that he put his spirit within us to bring us, to lead us, to guide us, to use us, to demonstrate to a lost world that righteousness is available, that sin's death has been nullified, sin's reign has been nullified, grace's reign has begun, and, and it's, a, it's a daily thing in people's lives. He has brought about the reign of grace in our life. He has too. That may not be up to your standard yet. Y'all got some really high standards. Okay. What brought it about to start with? Where did it start for you? In your faith. Guess what it's promoting within you? Your faith. Guess what it's bringing you around to mature? Your faith. It's a perpetual motion machine. God's righteousness to you through your faith in the blood of his son and the power of God to raise him from the dead. Abraham never said the word uh, Yeshua or Joshua or Jesus that I know of. But if God would have told him, he'd have believed it. Because he believed in possible things according to God's power. He was fully persuaded God had power to do what he'd promised. And when God told David that he forgave his sin, David wrote four psalms and said, Are you kidding me for crying out loud? Don't I love him? Who, we? Do I love him? What shall I render unto Jehovah for all his benefits to me? Rest of Psalm one sixteen describes a sanctified life. We live lives, we live lives that are holy and dedicated, out of devotion to Him who paid the price, who now owns us. We don't have to be patient with ourselves. But you don't really have the consent of your conscience to be anything else when the first thing love is, is love is patient and love is kind. And you're supposed to love your neighbor as you love yourself and God put his love into your heart. So here's an idea. Let's be patient. Let's be kind to ourselves according to the gospel. Not because you want to blow off your sin and take holiness lightly. According to the fact that God said, "I paid that. I paid the price for that." Jesus is wearing the crown. Sin, sin's not wearing the crown in your life anymore. Once it was, now it's not. So, we'll primarily what I want. Oh, I don't know if I told you. First Corinthians fifteen twenty-two. Did we even read that? Let's read that, and we'll be done. I was recommending that you write that in Romans five twelve. In your Bible, somewhere above that section. So you'll know. If you want to say all that he said from 512 to 21, if you'd like to say it in one sentence, he's going to say it right here in Romans 15. 1522. Go ahead, Paul. You got that? Yes. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. That's pretty simple, isn't it? In Adam, what do we have? Ourselves in the flesh, yeah, I know. What do we have in Adam? Yes. What do we have in Jesus? Life. I'm going to I'm on pick Jesus, aren't you? Mm-hmm. To pick yourself is to pick Adam, mm-hmm. to pick Jesus is to pick the Lord. Let's pray. Almighty God and Father in heaven, we love you, Father, for who you are. Thank you for telling us the truth. Thank you for explaining it to us, Father and and help us father to to hear these things. I realize Father, I've spoken very quickly and very boldly um, and my desire never is to confuse people. I realize this this we're in the deep end of the pool here, and I say that, Father, just to humble us, to humble me. Because even in the deep end of the pool, Father, there are some very basic things. Don't try, to, don't try to breathe water. And when you get a hold of something that helps you float, do what you can to get to the side. Help us, Father, latch on to the things that are simple and true and helpful, uh, And help us, Father, as we continue in these texts uh, for our understanding to grow. And as our understanding grows, Father, our love and our love for you and our devotion for you will grow as well. Please, God, help us to put our confidence in this because as our confidence in it grows, Father, we will too share it with the whole world. Through Jesus, who died for us, we pray these things now. Amen. Amen. Peace. Love you guys. We'll take up there next.